Every day we hoistle in at Pilots and Pictards Podcast. Welcome to the Pilots and Pictards Podcast. This is Drew. I'm the pragmatic and bleeding heart cyclops of this podcast. I'm Jimbo, the anti-millennial, non-conforming, existentialist, pilot critic, and Kenya the podcast. And I'm the motherfucking magical Miss Mo, master of pilots, nobos, and spoilers. Didn't I change it to also undefeated? I'm the motherfucking undefeated. <laughs> All right. And our spark plug and mother of cat Liz is waiting for a need of a spark plug. So she will be with us in the future. And this is the podcast with nothing much to do about aircrafts and potentially everything to do with the first episode of a filmic series. We look at the pilot episodes. Real quick disclaimer, petard is a word. It's a real word. And petards are bombs of the French variety. Look it up, read your Shakespeare, and you know what? Next time you're hanging out with some friends, just drop the word petard. See who reacts. It's interesting. Pilots and Petards is also a proud member of the But Why Though podcast community. And we'd like to give a very special thank you to today's sponsor, Public Libraries, for this ad-free listening. Thank you, Public Libraries, and your free books. And your free comics, and your free DVDs, and your free audiobooks, and your free place to hang out and use internet. Like, goddamn. I absolutely love public libraries. Pay your taxes, folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> call, call your senators and congressmen and get them to open up the national government. Uh, also, here's a fuck you to Crooked Media for your crooked piece of shit ads. It's not in the show notes, but fuck you, Bill Maher, for any number of reasons. Just <laughs> pick one. And uh, contact us to sponsor a show or slander a rival. Like, it's all good. And if you enjoyed today's ad-free entertainment then you owe us we could stack never-ending crooked ads we could create sob stories as to why we need your money but we don't repay your debt by leaving us a itunes review that's right we're getting back on the itunes reviews and ratings bandwagon just leave us one Mm -hmm. if you've already left us an itunes review or rating then go ahead and tell someone else about our podcast all right welcome listeners to our extended part two uh, filmic analysis and interpretation of the pilot episode of you titled pilot if you would like a spoiler free analysis then you can check the previous episode on your podcast app or our website there's a link in the show notes as well so first up is our Crabman award this is a character with a pretty small role but a very large contribution to the show overall named after uh, our very first two Crabmen. Go listen to our My Name is Earl episode and One Punch Man for a little more. But uh, jump in there, guys. Who who are your crab men, crab acts, crab bureaucrat, crab robots? Well, I think I'm going to be able to sway Drew over to my crab man at least because Beck's mom is the crab mom award for show. Okay, Because Beck calls her up wanting money and Beck's mom is refusing to help Beck out. So this is this is that that piece of evidence, another piece of evidence that Beck is maybe not that gorgeous, pretty girl next door that everyone thinks she is. Her mom doesn't want to help her. That says a lot about Beck. Oh, it says a lot about her mom. It says a lot about Beck's mom and also Beck's mom's understanding of what a liberal arts degree or an MFA will get you. So I'm Death. not sure that that's Beck's... all it will get you. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm not I'm not against Beck's mom. Well, let me read this since, since since we're talking about Beck. This is the synopsis of the book. But there is more to Joe than Beck realizes and much more to Beck than her oh-so-perfect facade. Their mutual obsession quickly spirals into a whirlwind of deadly consequences. 
I mean, I assume there's more to the story than the first episode, so... Yeah, so that's why I, I think Beck's mom is in there crabbing it up. I see your point of view, but I'm not swayed. Mo, you got something? I was kind of thinking of that little boy's mom. I thought you were about to say Paco, the least Hispanic boy of all time. <laughs> why is his name Paco? <laughs> like, it's New York. At least make him, like, Puerto Rican. Yeah, you could probably find a less white kid to play a Paco, but, that, you know, it's whatever. It's New York, and... Yeah, it's it, New York. There's not a lot of unwhite people there. Uh, sarcastic, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> not every Paco needs to be, you know, dark skin though, Drew. That's fair. The, this this kid could a definitely white be. Passing he could. Puerto Rican. You're right. You're right. He could. Yeah. This is very with his very Ohio accent too. Another crab mom. Ooh, I know. Dueling yep. crab moms. Dueling moms. moms. So first, I think playing on what you said earlier, Drew, how. This pilot did a good job of showing Joe's sympathetic side. And I feel like that really was manifested in, in, in his interactions with Paco. And every single scene of those, they kind of built what Paco's home life was, which was his mom being in this super toxic, violent relationship and screaming and fighting and letting her boyfriend intimidate poor little Paco and then having raunchy makeup sex all while loud raunchy makeup sex well, Paco's like destroying his vision reading in the dark um so uh I think I think that's why she played a key role because she plays into that whole dynamic but you never see her you just hear her screaming yeah I'm with Mo man I, I had the wrong crab mom <laughs> it's pretty good crab mom now wait here's here's my my crab person so this one is the creepy bookstore owner in the flashback because I just got, like, the creepiest, worst feeling. It added, like, this weird sense of, like, dark foreboding, you know? And then I'm just like, god damn, like, what did that creepy old bookstore owner do to Joe? Because, like, he damaged him. I think so. So that's why I think he's a crab monster, perhaps. I I get a sense that he's going to play a pretty big part throughout the series, and that's the only reason I would say he's not a good crab man. Because... I, I agree. I don't know. I don't even want to think about why Joe is the way he is. No, yeah. I, no, I think that guy's just there because they need to have a space for Joe to maybe kill someone. Oh, you think he killed the crab monster? Oh, interesting. I think he killed Benji. The first time I watched it, I was like for sure that he killed him. Yeah. And then after watching it now, I'm not so sure that he did. He definitely has him locked up. Benji's not dead. But you thought he, you thought he was going to kill him. The first time I watched it, I thought it was implied that Benji's about to die, like that second. Okay. Oh, no, I thought my, that too. I thought the that second too. time I watched it, I'm not so sure that his intention is to kill Benji. Correct. Correct. There's like more mental games, right? He he has like mental mental warfare to wage. I think the old guy is just there because they need a spot to, for him to have like a kill lab. I think that the old guy. Like fucked up Joe produces the kill lab, maybe. Hmm. All right, um, I'm I'm swayed I'm swayed by Mo. I'm coming over to yeah, Mo's so, same, crab same mom. Here. I I agree. All, All right, Mo, Mo announce it. it. All right, by persuaded decision, crab woman award goes to Paco's mamacita. Oh, nice. I like it better as crab mom, but it's okay. That's fine. That's fine. When you that's win fair. one, you get to announce it, Drew. Oh, yeah. You're right. That's true. Okay. <laughs> All right, Hoisters, now we're going to move into the most valuable part of the pilot. This could be anything on or off screen. It is our MVP. 
And it looks like Drew and I have a similar one. So I'll just start off with mine. Joe believes in love. So he's like this like helpless romantic. And I think that is the most valuable part of the pilot because at some point he was like burnt by love. And this is that classic trope that you see in almost every romantic comedy. And he just pushes that boundary so well. I might push back because that's not exactly my MVP. Um, well, similar. I I don't think I, – I think we have an unreliable narrator here because like oh, when Joe says those things – like when Joe says, like, he chased love and he didn't have it. Like, I don't even know if it was reciprocated. Like, <laughs> he might just stalk someone earlier and things went poorly. So, no, that's true. But what I'm saying is that's the reality of like every single romantic comedy. But because they turn it into this like fantastical fairy tale love story, like, this is the reality of all the fairy tales and romantic comedies. That guy is a creep, not like he's some romantic person that we sh- we should adore. It's like, no, that guy's definitely a creep. Okay. Um, and that that's closer to my MVP, which is um, the lead actor's performance, Penn Bagley. Um, this is a good performance. Like, he is charismatic on screen. He's carrying the bulk of the show because, honestly, like, I think they're doing it on purpose, but Beck is just kind of like – a little bit of a, like a cipher character. Like she's kind of what everyone sees in her, but we don't get a lot of information about her, um, which is an interesting and kind of complicated way to portray her. But it leaves like a ton of the heavy lifting for Joe. And he does it, you know, like I was not bored. I was not playing with my phone during the show. High praise from Pilots of Tards. Where are you at, Mo? I like your reasons better, Drew, than Jimbo. I, I feel like Joe's a scam artist. Jeez, we're not. There's no persuasion here, man. You don't have to chop me down. No, 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 Jimbo. No, no. I think I think you bring up a good point, and I forgot. I forgot that Joe was playing it. You don't have to fluff me, Mo. You know, shoot it straight, man. No, but I get. I'm not fluffing you. I'm just saying. Okay. I forgot that Joe had moments of being this like romantic, but I guess I was so eye roll because I thought he was just making it up in his head because he's crazy. He he probably is. Yeah, I I don't believe him. Drew Drew and I talked a little bit about this off mic. He his ego is so huge. He thinks like even the 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 first moment she walks into the store. I think I may have wrote, wrote it down. But he's stalking her the first time he sees her. He's already stalking her. He's watching her walk through the store. He's he's even saying like what what authors she is and isn't looking for. He judges her as, as a student. And do you guys remember the first word he actually says outside of his mind? No, tell me. Guilty. Oh, geez, that's clever. That's his first word besides his monologue. Joe is doing Joe's doing a lot. One interesting thing, too, I want to point out is, like, even when Joe's hanging out with Lil Paco, when he talks about um, the idea of, like, 18th century eighteenth century chivalry being, like, a romantic thing, it kind of wasn't. Um, you know, there was, like, not a lot of, like, um, what's the word for it? Like, personhood of the women of that time. You know, like, they didn't have, like, independence and they didn't have, like a lot of identity. It was more like as like prizes to be won or as like things to be shown off. So like, it's very telling that like Joe is like romanticizing and um, kind of revering this period in history that were kind of awesome for dudes who thought like Joe, 
but kind of shitty for women. Well, well, the romantics were pushing, you know, the first ones to push for like marry for love. It's kind of fitting that 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 he would idolize these these guys. But Drew's right. I mean, women are courtly love in the Middle Ages in Europe is like mega rapey and like super shitty and like very bad for women and like there's like there's lots of options for men to like have choices but like courtly love and like chivalristic love is super misogynistic those books weren't from the middle ages though Mm, i mean if they're still talking about courtly love and chivalry in the 18th century which is like the 1700s desperate characters author book no 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 that is the three musketeers Musketeers and don quixote Yes. I'm listening to a cool podcast called Media Evil, and it's all about, um, like, movies about kind of, like, that time, and kind of, like, one of the people who's on it is a classics professor who specializes in medieval culture and literature, and she says she's, like, the reason that they started the podcast with her and her friend was because when she teaches these classes to, like, underclassmen, all they do is come to her with, like, stories about, like, the movies they've seen, and she's like... Most of that stuff is not true. So it's kind of interesting to learn about. We can put that in the Patardar or the show notes. Mo, you've been hanging back. What is your most valuable part? After remembering that opening scene, I actually really liked the way it was shot. So I'm going to say that the opening scene is my MVP. The way they kind of show him lurking through the bookshelves and looking at her and then like kind of cutting and building up that kind of tension between the two of them and the internal monologue that he was having, which I guess was really well delivered. So that scene in general, I liked. And I liked the bookstore in general. I'm going to add another thing. Uh, So at five minutes into the, into the pilot, Joe starts talking to Beck in his internal monologue. So this is like that o- the o- opening scene before she even, I think she may, you know, I've, I've double checked, but he starts talking to her inside his head. I'll add this to what Mo's saying too. Um, nonverbal acting during voiceover is hard because like we are digesting it as like hearing the protagonist or like just a character's thoughts. Like it's still kind of hard to like act like you're thinking. You know, so like whatever the director was saying to the lead character or whatever that actor was thinking about, like that's work too. It's not just like looking straight ahead. Nice pick, Mo. Cool. So I guess we all kind of went for Joe in a way. I hope so. Now we're going to continue with our literary analysis. We haven't really talked much about Beck, so maybe we could talk a little bit about Beck, and then Drew has a couple ideas as well. Yeah. What's what? What's our speculation on Beck? What What do we think about Beck? Are we supposed to like her? I think she's supposed to be relatable somehow because she's, you know, trying to pursue her passion, but also trying to fit into this fake lifestyle that all her friends seem to be pushing her towards. Yeah, she seems like the prize. Like she's the prize that needs to be saved. Like she's insecure or something or at least or she. Yeah, she lives like that double life. She's not who she pretends to be, which is maybe that's like something relatable that we, we all get, like anyone that has a social media account, you don't usually put stuff that makes you look bad on. So that's, so that's, you know, there, but I also think like in the first episode, we're supposed to see her as this innocent, kind of like a victim, like her boyfriend's not a good person and her friends are kind of crappy. So she's kind of like that innocent victim. That's, 
going to be Joe's prize. Yeah. And the part where she, like I was got really annoyed and just over the show was when she fell on the train tracks. I was just over it at that point. I'm like, fuck Beck. She's a dumbass for even just being so belligerent. Like if you live in New York, you know fucking better than to step on the yellow line when you're blacked out. You back the fuck up and you just chill. <laughs> There's even like that that automated voice that keeps reminding you every five seconds not to stand there. It's just really annoying. And I'm sure, you know, people get hit by a train a lot and it's probably when they're drunk or whatever. But I don't know. If she's supposed to be this smart girl, I just, I was over it at that point. That was a pretty low point of the episode. I'll agree with that. Especially concerning the fact like this is fiction. There's any number of ways that you could have like done that. And also, by the way, when she was laying on top of him, I was like, she's going to throw up. <laughs> I was like, of course it's going to happen. The the one thing I loved about that scene, she picked her phone up. Her like life is in danger and she made sure to grab her phone before she jumped up. So that the only thing that was done well in that scene. Wouldn't her phone have been okay? Like it was between yes. the tracks. Like would it maybe maybe it would have gotten picked up by like the speed or, or something. Or something. I mean, it point. might not okay. have survived, but who cares? I think yeah. <laughs> and the fact that she was so out of it, I feel like you would be full of adrenaline. No matter how drunk you are, like we've all been drunk enough and then had someone be a total buzzkill and then like sober you up because they did something stupid. Everyone's had that feeling. And I feel like landing on the subway tracks would be exactly what would shoot your body with adrenaline. Sober you the fuck up. Yeah. This this transitions well into our how cynical is this show and are there... Yeah. Any actual characters besides Joe? So we kind of... Let me throw it out there, because this was the one I picked. To me, I noticed this because it was like... Benji was like my first kind of signal. Like, to me, this show substituted a lot of char- like caricatures or stereotypes. And like the whole thing kind of ended up being like a really long morality play. But Joe's not like a hero. So, I mean, it was a little more complicated than that. But like... Beck is kind of the person who projects on social media, but, you know, she doesn't ever shit together. Her friends are shallow and don't like her. Like, Benji is just like a cokehead, dickhead, privileged guy who vapes all the time. Like, uh, the the professor just wants to bang her, you know? So, like, there was just, like, very little character development of anybody but Joe. You know, even Paco was just, like, a little sad sack. He has an abusive step step boyfriend Mike or whatever you want to call that. And his mom doesn't seem to be that good of a mother. <laughs> it just kind of seemed like it was one long, like look how shitty 2018 is and like, isn't our society awful? And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know. Like this show just struck me as like deeply cynical. I thought that the symbolism in choosing him to be a bookstore worker and that interaction of, you know, the dying breed of the bookstore and holding a book in your hand comparing that to you know the obsession with the digital world do you think that added to the cynicism and did you think that was kind of an obvious juxtaposition because it felt purposeful to me it felt purposeful but i also think it it had unintended consequences because it made me dislike the people more like they're being snooty in the bookstore like oh we read we still read yeah they're being pretentious 
Yeah, like, let that guy read his fucking Dan Brown novel. Like, I am, I feel like, and we were all in Peace Corps, so like, I kind of feel like, yeah, I feel like there was this idea that like, when we were all in Peace Corps, read The Brothers K, read a bunch of books you've never read before, read War and Peace, you'll become a better person. Fuck James Joyce, man. I don't like those books. I think they're boring. I don't get it. And I'm old enough to be like, fuck it. Like, I'm going to read what I like. So, I mean, I, I, maybe personally, I had some animus about that part too. Not even cynical. It was just snobby. And it's like, bitch, you can't pay your rent. Why are you judging this guy? And also, you live in the village. Why are you living there if you can't pay your rent? Yeah, she needs this. She needs to have four or five roommates. Yeah, go live somewhere in Flatbush. In Brooklyn. Like, get out of here. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, that was I. I <laughs> that was a funny part. Or right, I'm glad you <laughs> remembered the Dan Brown diss. That's so snooty. That's so annoying. Like that's such gatekeeping bullshit. Like. I, I want to tell the students at school, like, when I'm talking to them, I'm like, read a book. People will think you're smart, even though what you're reading might be trashy as hell. You know, like, it's just this assumption. Yeah, so, I mean, maybe that even deepens the cynicism. But I think they might have been doing it on purpose. I think they might be trying to appeal to, like, the people like Joe. Because Joe thinks he's better than everyone else. And, like, a lot of people who are into reading lots of books and letting people know they read lots of books are into that shit. Yeah, I mean, like, I keep mentioning these five books I'm reading right now, and that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Not to point fingers or anything. <laughs> I think it's a little bit la- lazy writing, though. I think they're, I think they put it in a bookstore and have her be a grad student, masters, whatever, writer, poet. It just seems like they're not, like, trying to get that development without actually working for it. Because Joe's on Joe's on his phone the whole time. He's not reading a book. <laughs> mm-hmm. She reads more than he does. She writes more than he does. She's like getting her shit done. That's, now, granted, you know. he was he he had stalking yeah. work to do, so I'm sure he reads more <laughs> when he's not stalking. He was real busy, hanging out in doorways with a baseball cap like, on. Jesus, I'm like, I can't believe that was on. I don't trust anybody wearing baseball caps now. <laughs> why is that always like the sign that you're up to no good and you don't want to be seen like you would on a base what are you talking about like almost all guys I know, wear baseball but I feel caps like man in, in the show I don't think I've worn a baseball cap in years really yeah do you still wear baseball I mean, caps I wore oh, one yeah, to go dude. hiking because of my skin like my face that's one of the reasons I wear one as you can see hoisters you can't tell but my hair is it growing out it looks like I a mess so I was going to just get a haircut oh thanks it's going to look real sharp for your interview tomorrow. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Helen's been making fun <laughs> of me the last three days, so hopefully it falls together. Anyway, I don't know. I just – but to go back, I think it's more snobby than cynical, if anything. I think it's very cyn- cynical and snobby. I think the show's cynical on purpose. I don't think – I think they're being snobby by accident because I think they're being – I think in their minds they're sympathetic. Because I think they're shooting for a certain demographic of people. I'm like, fuck it. I'll say it. I wrote a bad book. Like, it didn't go anywhere. And it's in a third draft. And it'll always be in a third draft. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of people who feel like they're stifled creatives. And, like, they are – they Joe's appealing and Becker are, is appealing in certain ways. I, I don't see Beck being believable as this um, poet, wannabe poet. Her poem's good. I liked her poem. Maybe I just can't get past her, like, Becky face, where it's just like, you're just a pretty white girl, and I can't get past it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, she's a Becky with the good she hair. She is a Becky with the good hair. So I can't get past that when she tries to be all deep with her poems. I'm just like, I would have probably booed you, too. 
I did like that guy making fun of her call. Like, that was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> they have poetry open mics in New York City. Like, why would she go to a non-poetry open mic? That was just kind of stupid. New York's like the place to do that. Her like, friends did make so fun many of her. places where you would not be yelled at by a bunch of frat bros. One last literary analysis. Kind of ask this. What's the deal with the title? I think it's kind of dumb. And I know they say the word you a bunch when he's talking about Beck, but like it is annoying for us to keep calling this show you. I don't like the title. What do you guys think? Did he have a final quote or something using you or something? I don't know. Or was it when he was talking to her in his head and saying, do you actually care? Do you even have friends? Is that what the you is alluding yeah, to? when he's brought like, up. She's the you? Like Beck is you? I guess. I didn't really think think about it, but now that Drew brings it up, I don't <laughs> like the title at all. I don't like the title either. It's dumb. You put in you into Google, and you know what you get? The second person <laughs> pronoun. It's confusing. Like, come on. They're making a choice. Is the novel called you? It is. So that's why. They could have changed that shit. She should have found a better... You know, she, she might have sold this, this book to Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman. She would have had a better title. Yeah, Lifetime bought it. You could have been on HBO, but you are on Lifetime. But I think you made choices. A book, that's a better title than for a TV series. That's kind of confusing still, even as a book. Like, yeah. Did you read you? <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Did you read you? What did you think of you? Are you going to keep? Yeah. What reading did you, you think of you? I even fell for it earlier in the show, and most said you, and I was like, me? She talking to me? <laughs> Be like, did you read you about the poet who goes to NYU? You would really like it. You yeah, guys, let's true. talk about you. Ew, cut. Yeah, that's dumb. I almost want to hoist this shit now. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we moved on from there. Yeah, but it, it was, we, we should put it below <laughs> Big Little Eyes for sure now. There you go. Okay. We well, that spot. All right. Well, I'm glad we talked about that and that, good. That was literary analyzed. Good. Yeah, that's important because the title is everything. All right. Part three. We're going to step outside of the pilot now. We're no longer going to care about Joe and Beck. We're going to step into some of these themes and issues and topics. And Mo's going to introduce her to the stage. We've got Stormy Daniels dangling threads of interest. How's Stormy doing this week? Uh, n- no, new- no news is good news <laughs> for old Stormy. I don't think it is. I, I, I think Well, actually, there is, there's a little more news. Um, the, her attorney, the Michael Avenatti... Uh, restraining order uh, for alleged domestic abuse in California was upheld by a district court judge. So thank you, judges, for respecting um, credible accusations. So there's there's a few things that we could dangle here. Do we want to waste our time on digital pri- uh, privacy? Let me ask this digital privacy question, because like the way that um, Joe frames it is that it's her fault that all of her stuff is open. So I mean, should we should we be more critical of Beck because all of her social media accounts are open? Is that cynical? Is that what the thing's trying to teach us? Like, what do you guys think? I hate passwords. If you broke into my house right now, you could easily get into every single device I have. I definitely have passwords on everything. Are they the same? Should I not ask you that on a podcast? Uh, it's what actually, are they, everyone get your pen and pencil ready. <laughs> zero 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 that's kanye's password which we learned when he visited the white house yeah that's a good password man with with apple you you fingerprint nowadays so like mine's set to lock unless you can put your my fingerprint on there my laptop is locked i i has a password to get into it 
But mostly, like I said, my partner's very, this is a very interesting topic for him. And he feels very strongly that I should be more proactive in not being like, even just being on Instagram on the, on public transportation, he's like, people are mining data on you and you don't even realize it. Like, like in person, not just through the app itself. Or even when I wear my badge from work on my, sometimes I forget it's on my shirt and then I'll be on the train and he's like, somebody could just take a picture of that and copy it and then gain access to your building. But it's not true. Like it has a beep, like it has a magnet in it. Yeah. yeah it was like... A little more than just a picture. Digital privacy. It does. I mean, yeah, it does a good really. job at shaming back for or shaming people in general who just keep their shit public, especially after everything we've learned and all of the controversies with Facebook and other companies selling our information. I got identity theft. You did? Like this past year. Yeah, some asshole in Utah went to a Forever 21 and spent $650 and it has fucked up my credit rating. I dipped like 170 points. Why did your credit go down? Because, uh, oh, because a collection agency picked up the debt and they're dogging me. So now the bank that opened the card is fucking up my credit. Uh, which bank is this? Because that doesn't sound like they treat their, treat their customers very well. A, a small one? It's like, yeah, it's like some ex-community bank or some shit in Utah. Um, uh, a, debt collection, a debt collection agency from Virginia, which has a super shitty reputation, um, picked up my debt. And now they're both dinging my credit. Oh, so. shit. I'm sorry. Wait, so somebody opened a credit card in your name using your information? Well, they opened a Forever 21 credit card in my name, spent $650 at Forever 21, and then <laughs> I guess dropped it. But uh, we put three locks on all on like my name and stuff, so now it's harder to open things up. But we only did that after I got identity thefted. And we had a pretty big unexpected ac- expense at our house. And um, we had to put everything in my wife's name because my credit kind of is not great. How did you find out? Did someone call you and say uh, you owe $600? He went to collections. Yeah, I went to collections. Yeah. They fucking did it a bunch. Like, <laughs> I've, we went to collections one time before because like, we had like a hospital. What does collections even mean? Is that like the feds? Some, some, sometimes it's federal, like, but, but they buy people's loans and then for really cheap – and then they make money by getting people to pay those uh-huh. loans back. They just call you all the time and harass you and shit. Someone can buy maybe like $10 million worth of loans from some company that has all these people that are never going to pay them. And they might sell them for something crazy like 10,000 bucks or, you know, or, or maybe it's more, but, but, you know, but anyways, you know, they sell them and then now this person has all this debt and their job is to try and get those loans back. And then whatever loans they don't get back, they'll just sell to someone else. Capitalism. Oh my gosh. Well, fuck everyone. If I had a lot of money, I would buy those. Yeah. Loans Cause up, then dude. if you buy them for like 100, one, one hundredth of what they're worth and you get like yeah, a they quarter buy them crazy of it cheap. back, you've made a ton of money. I'm never paying that collection agency. I'm contesting everything. Yeah, you and should. And then hopefully my bank will get my back. You but already for bought now, a house. My credit kind of sucks. You bought your house. It's fine. I, that's what I thought. And then we hit an unexpected expense. So the transmission on Tori's car costs half as much as the cars were. So I would have got a new car, a very cheap one. Yeah, we're working on some things. <laughs> Digital privacy. Mo, I'm with Rashid. I got identity thefted. Pick a different password for your banks as you do for your laptops as you do 
for I have a password for my banks and their iterations of each other. You have them all writ- written down. I'm, I have a good memory. Good. We have a Dropbox document, and it makes me freaked out. When you break into my apartment and you're on my computer because it's unlocked and all my other stuff that's unlocked, there's a piece of paper in my f- <laughs> in my folder that has all my passwords on it because I can't because they all require a different thing. So you can't even use the same password if you want. It's good. You should have different passwords and you should reset them every. It's six terrible because you can't remember them. You can't remember any of them. Every time, I, like, there's like a few accounts I have. Every time I go on there, I literally have to redo the whole forgot password, forgot ID because it's impossible to remember all that crap. Yeah, I have all this like state licensure stuff um, for my teaching license. And like, it's one of those things where like, it's not even just like case sensitive and a number and a symbol and a space somewhere. So like, I just like have these panic attacks because like my license comes up every couple of years and every couple of years I figure it out and I'm like, I should make the password something easier. I don't because I'm an idiot. And then (laughs) two years later, I'm fucked again. Well, there is, um, there's an app that you, it does cost money. I think it's only a couple bucks though. And what it does, it's called, I think, Keychain or something. There's a, yeah, there's, there's a couple different ones. Everything you want to access, like your bank accounts, your social media, you access it through this app. And what it does, it just randomizes a password for you that you don't even need to know. And then you just, that's your password. And you just always log into the apps through that one portal. And until they get hacked, it's great. And until they get hacked, yeah, <laughs> it's true. No one's safe. Just be like um, Ron Swanson and get all your wealth in gold and bury it somewhere. <laughs> if someone wants your identity, it's not that hard to get it. Yeah, I read like an article in like some tech journal that was like, some kid in Iceland can just ruin your life and it doesn't <laughs> really matter what you do. And I'm like, oh, it's kind of freeing. Yeah. Also, don't be yeah, don't be like so paranoid because it can be crippling. But also, don't wear your ID on public transportation. I mean, just don't in general. I mean, I feel weird about it too. I don't want people knowing my name, my first and last name, especially because I don't have a very common name. So it would be really easy to find me. Mm. You know, I'm not just like Guinevere, whatever. You're not Guinevere Beck. Oh, <laughs> well, that is kind of a unique name. So that's why she was so easy to find. All right, do we want to talk about any of these other ones? No, look on there. Are you intrigued? I see. Like, are we? do we want to root for them even though he's, like, very obviously a psycho? But we still want them to get together? When you, So, okay, so, so let's talk about this one for a little bit. So one of the creators, by creator, she took and made the screenplay. Her name is Sarah Gamble. And she made a comment, and this is a paraphrase, but we are hardwired to root for the two characters introduced in the first scene. So she's saying, like, we watch all these romantic comedies. We watch all these shows and movies. And you meet the two people, Harry met Sally, whatever, you know, input characters here. And you want them to come together you want them to be a couple you want them to be happily ever after by the end and so even like within this story like even though you know that joe is a creeper and that beck has a lot of baggage like you still want them to come together because we as an audience and as a culture have this idea that like love conquers all yeah i mean i think that's kind of like the thing about like people pushing back on like the re-examination of like the 80s and 90s movies being problematic because we have kind of been conditioned at this point to be like, you know, that's stalkerish, but if they get together, it's fine, you know, or like that behavior is like pretty shitty, but that's romance. So 
I don't know. I'd, I'd be kind of down for, like, a newer era of, like, romantic comedy. Crazy Rich Asians is kind of a cool romantic comedy or, like, a rom-com because, like, you know, they're kind of together. Like, there's not really that tension of, like, you know? So, I don't know. Like, I could be down for some, like, healthy relationship rom-coms and, like, maybe those will work, too. But we have that preconceived, I guess, conditioning. I don't know. To just want them Yeah, to like, the two need to get together. Even if the guy like doesn't get it, like even like, you know, I've said this before on the podcast for any of, of Drew's students that are young and still impressionable. No means no, no does not mean keep trying. And like, that's like the problem with romantic comedies, especially the older ones is no, doesn't mean no, like no means keep trying. And I would say that's kind of what I learned growing up. Like no means keep trying. And that's not what no means. No means no. Well, there's that aspect. And then I also think, I'm just like rifling through all the rom-coms I can think of in my head right now. And even to the point where sometimes like the best friend is going to like destroy someone's marriage or like wedding day. Right. Like even that it's like socially acceptable because like you said, we're because the people are attractive. Yeah. It's like, but they belong together. It's, it's fate. It's soulmates. It's whatever. So that's like another aspect, but the no means no is like a whole nother level of, like ownership over women's bodies and then women not having any say, I guess. in Or personhood. Yeah. Like, of course they're going to fall for the guy who stops them because who doesn't like that? Yeah. He's going to do a really big romantic gesture that definitely pushes like boundaries of privacy. But hey. Like save her off the train tracks because he just happened to be stalking her. So he knew to save her. Like, oh, that's so romantic. There isn't even a no. Like he doesn't even get the chance to get a no. He just starts not even talking to this person for more than one interaction. He almost treated it like <laughs> an assignment too. It was very obsessive and creepy. Love conquers all, man. Yeah. The guys, the guys are romantic. I wonder like it would make Bill Mars head explode, <laughs> but like, I wonder if we could get like actors like John Cusack to like go back to say anything and like record a like Joe from use commentary in his head <laughs> about like stalking the girl, figuring out her shit relentlessly pursuing and then you know i guess winning <laughs> kidnapping her boyfriend and breaking his head in <laughs> yes that's the scene we didn't see so romantic <laughs> it could be the storyline where like your your wife divorces you and your kids all hate you so you go back in and spark a plug with your uh high school sweetheart <laughs> that's that's gonna be a great film drew i will copyright um but that that's interesting jumbo it is true i almost found myself being like oh is this gonna work out for them and then it then he just crossed the line he crosses so many lines like when he watched her have sex and then watched her masturbate and then he was beating off in the bushes yeah. <laughs> that was i was like okay done i'm done <laughs> wanting these people to get together <laughs> i was done with that <laughs> Mo, I like how, like, before when he was just, like, following her around the city. I don't know how we didn't talk about that before. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Before, I was almost falling into this predictable, oh. Because he's a good-looking guy. You know Mo liked him the first shot. They have a lot in common. She has a douchey boyfriend. Okay, but then. He He has a defined jawline. Okay, whatever. But then that part, I was like, okay, this, call the police. Like, call the authorities ASAP. 
<laughs> this is not okay. I thought I thought there was going to be more to that little old lady who found him. And then... <laughs> she was so slow. <laughs> I don't know. He's putting his hands all on her back. You know, know she's going to the airport. <laughs> Wrapping it. I think that's a nice place to end it, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it is. Because we, we jumped back into the pilot slut. Yeah. So that tells us that our dangling threads have mm-hmm. come to an yes. end. And Hoisters, we normally move into part four. It's going to be a very short part four. Once again, Petard Trivia is, is on hold. So this is just going to be our nonsensical part of the pilot. We're going to talk about next week. Next week, uh, you guys, sex education? Yeah, I'm down. Next week, we're going to, or in a few days or whenever, we're going to do sex education. I've already seen this. So this is a uh, uh, Hoister approved. Can we do The Bodyguard? I love that show. You want to do it next great. week? Most yeah, let's do that first because I already seen the pilot. Okay, next week we're gonna do Bodyguard. The week after that, we may or may not do Sex Education. Bodyguard next week, everyone. It's the King of the North you're talking about there, Jimbo. Put some respect on that name. Yeah, King of the North. Is this Game of Thrones thing, dude? That I'm missing here. Okay, (laughs) leave it in. Don't edit it out. And so our plugs, we would like to thank Jake Drew for our intro and outro music. There's a link to click on it, and he can make you some intro or outro music. There's also some links for our Twitter account. Click on those. The show is officially over. But if you love us as much as we love us, we are going to stick around for probably a very brief amount of time. Everyone in my house is sick to varying degrees. So Sorry. Who started it? Drew, uh-huh. he works at his school. He brings all those well, diseases home. Emma's Actually, in it was probably it was yeah, exactly. It was probably Emma. She was sick. We held her back from school for a couple days because Tori's parents are in town, um, and they were helping us watch the kid. And then we sent her back to school so she could go to Tubishvat. It was a mistake because she picked up something else, and then everyone got sick. So I'm trying to get to school by Friday, but we'll see. You're not going to work, right? I'm not going to work tomorrow. I was at work the past two days. Well, I hope the garlic works for you. I uh, yeah. By the way, by the way, hoistlers, I'm about to go upstairs and chew on some garlic because Mo told me to. I'll let you know how that goes next episode, next shop talk. I I was able to live in New York where people get TB. Still, I had a friend get TB in New York, and I I managed to survive there and only get like mildly sick just a couple times. Now, if I don't have fresh garlic, but I have crushed garlic, what what's the deal with that? Snort it, dude. You got to blow it, man. <laughs> if it's if it's uh, you, gotta... you mean that stuff in the jar? <laughs> just get some garlic salt and just do a couple no, of lines gotta, of garlic it's, salt. It should be fresh. It should be fresh garlic. I'll see what I can do. Well, get some ginger. Rub it around the rub it around your asshole. Okay, <laughs> just get ginger all she up in the rectum, dude. Up That'll cure anything. <laughs> I have ginger. Rishi, did you put the pre-workout in here? He's whispering. You don't have to whisper. It's fine. <laughs> All, right, All right. But you're, well, we're live. We're recording. So if you want to say anyone to our fans. Digital privacy, man. Yeah, we privacy. blew it, dude. Privacy. You blew it. Get him to watch the pilot. Every day I'm hoistling Drew out. Every day we hoistling Jimbo out. I always miss it. Every day I'm hoistling Mo out. All right. Good night, guys. Hugs and kisses to the babies. Jamie's probably so big now, right, Jimbo?